1: You're listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. If you want to get in touch with the show, email us at IllegalMotionPodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Illegal underscore Motion. Thanks for downloading. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In a surprisingly windy Los Angeles, I am the professor, Matt Perkins. And joining us from Nashville, Tennessee, where his Lebanon High School Blue Devils take on the Rebels of Franklin tomorrow, it's the coach, Corey Burton.
0: What's up, guys? Season finale, regular season finale, uh, take, on the, take on the Rebels. I think we're ready. Had a pretty good week of practice. Uh, weather didn't cooperate for the most part, but we finally were able to get outside and get some good weather and get some good work in. So I think we're ready, um, and certainly I'm ready to rock and roll tonight. Uh, looking forward to it. We got an action-packed show, man.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I got a lot, a lot of good stuff, a lot of good stuff.
0: Don't blow away, don't blow away,
1: Matt. I'll do my best. Um, well, a man who knows should know a lot about wind, living in the Windy City, in the Second City. A man who has been on quite a hot streak in bar trivia recently, it's our blogger, Josh Cook. Hey, you know, one a
2: couple a uh, couple of days ago, the discount for our drinks led to my bar tab
1: being a buck 97. Can't beat that. Oh wow! I'm uh, and Josh, knowing the amount of beer that you can consume, that's very impressive.
2: Well, what helped us win was our double up round was food bowl or football bowl. I knew all of them, and we doubled it up, so made it oh, pretty
1: easy. That's uh, that's right up the illegal motion uh, alley for that. Because um, oh, like all three of us like to eat, and all three of us know our bowl games. So. Yeah, right. Um, so, well, a lot of big games this weekend, including a couple going on right now, one between, uh, TCU and West Virginia, one between North Carolina and Pitt. So we'll, uh, we'll be keeping tabs on those as we record, but tonight we're going to switch things up a little bit. And in lieu of our usual quick slants, uh, we're actually going to talk about all of these, uh, head coaching vacancies in FBS, which now stand at a total of eight. And so each of us has come up with a list to rank them in order of, most desirable to least desirable. But um, we're actually going to start at the bottom with the least desirable ones and go around the table and uh, see what we've got for each. Uh, for those of you listening out there, in case you don't know all of them off the top of your head, in alphabetical order, the coaching vacancies are Central Florida, Illinois, Miami, Florida, not Miami of Ohio, Minnesota, Maryland, North Texas, South Carolina, and Southern Cal. That's some good alphabetizing considering Maryland is MA. Oh! And Minnesota is MI. I just looked at the M's when I was playing around with them and did not even think about the second letter. This is Ooh. why you guys are um, teaching grammar and I'm not. <laughs> um, so, well, Josh, uh, we're going to throw it to you first. So, who do you have at number eight? Well, my number eight is uh, Purdue because the job is technically not
2: open yet. Oh! <laughs> Uh, No, in all seriousness, um, so my criteria was if I was a coach, what I think is the most attractive, um, so my rankings might be a little different, but I honestly think Miami is the worst job. They have a fan base that's going to demand a national title within three to five years, but the administration and facilities indicate that that won't happen, and so whatever coach gets that job, they're facing a really uphill battle and I don't think they'll have a long-term career at Miami until that administration turns things around because Al Golden can recruit, but it's just flat. Nothing's going right there. So Miami, believe it or not, my eighth hole.
0: Wow. I certainly don't agree. I got North Texas just because they're North Texas. There's not really a whole lot of excitement with that job, but, Whoever gets that job, I'm sure, will be a first-time head coach, um, and it'll be exciting for them personally. Yeah. But uh, as far as moving the meter, um, I don't think anybody's tuning into the Illegal Motion podcast to hear about the North Texas coaching opening. So uh, that's my number eight.
1: Yeah, we'll move it along. I'm right with you, Corey. Um, what I wrote down is, uh, who wants to live in Denton? The answer yeah. um,
0: is It's not far from Dallas
1: it's it, but again it's it's not in dallas um and yeah i just north, north texas it's it's not moving the meter at all um i'm right with there with you coach so um uh who's your number 7 josh
2: well you guys probably aren't going to like this either but uh south carolina they are way back in the middle of the pack of their conference with a fan base that expects a lot more they just kind of unceremoniously put the heat on their all-time win as coach and made them resign. And within state, they are second fiddle with a country mile between the two of them with Clemson and South Carolina. That's another one where if you don't make the SEC title game in two, three, four years, you're looking at a super hot seat. That's just not very attractive for long-term stability.
0: Well, uh, Matt, you and you and me might just be agreeing, and I think my list is going to be turned upside down um, from Josh's. <laughs> but uh, I, I got Central Florida um, again. That O'Leary found some way to go to a BCS bowl, and then all of a sudden take a nosedive. Um, you know, I, I think they maxed out under O'Leary. They're going to have to find some sort of up and comer that's a great recruiter. Um, it could turn out to be a really good job. Um, But as far as, like, the excitement level of who's going to – the anticipation of who's going to take this job, not there for me. Um, It's kind of hard to get excited about a winless team um, in Orlando, Florida. So I'm going with Central Florida.
1: Yeah, uh, again, uh, you and I are in lockstep, Coach. Um, When when I was thinking about this – when I was thinking about this exercise, I was thinking about, okay, if I was a coach, where would I want to go? And what would give me the best chance of getting into the college football playoff? it's like that's sort of the promised land at this point right it's you know you get into the playoff anything can happen and our you know these bottom two teams these two group of five teams you're, you know your chance of getting into the playoff is so slim um, you know, they're in central Florida is, you know, in the American with, you know, a bunch of, you know, my favorite teams, obviously, uh, between Houston and Temple Ashley Cross, Memphis Tigers. Shout out to Ashley front of the podcast. Um, you know, Navy, like they, I mean, they are, they're a mid-tier team in their own conference. You know, they had a little bit of recent buzz with, uh, Blake Bortles, getting a little bit of Bortles service. Thank you, Brian uh, Um and,
0: and Storm Johnson.
1: And, and Storm Johnson. You know, they had a nice little punch there, uh, you know, making to a big, big bowl game. And Rashad Perriman. Yeah, but they've really fallen off a cliff since then. So, oh, uh, yeah.
0: It's like the Wily e. Coyote. Absolutely, yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, he, he's, he's got the, the Acme brand anvil in his hand, and he's just run off the ledge, and we know what's happening. So, uh, number six, Josh.
2: Uh, Well, I've got the Central Florida team that you've just been talking about, so I won't add too much because, obviously, I've got them in my lower third, so I'm not thinking too highly of them either.
1: Yes.
0: Coach? Number six, I've got Miami. Um, I think they're not the same job that it once was. Uh, They recruit in a great area. Um, I got them number six i don 't quite have them last because I, I think North Texas and central Florida were, were worse, but you know I, I think Josh was on to something about the administration until they show the utmost support for Miami. I think it's just going to be one of those places where they 're going to get a mid tier head coach to hopefully come in there overachieve, and, and get the administration to uh, to see what they can do okay so the, the positives are though you recruit the right class and and, and they 'll win despite whoever despite whoever's there. Um, Bad news is you get another golden and you 're screwed again and you 're going to be not only irrelevant but you 're going to be whatever's lower than irrelevant um, and that 's really you know with this with the administration 's level of buy in right now that 's a pretty easy thing to do yeah. so miami 's number six for me
1: uh, number six for me is illinois, and it 's not just because I went to Wisconsin that I am Marking them the lowest uh, the least desirable job in the big ten of the three jobs you' opened in the big ten, but even though Illinois has five claimed national titles their most recent was in nineteen fifty one um, Illinois also has an issue that like Wisconsin and uh, like Iowa, it is a one of the tougher uh, public schools to get into in the country so you can't you don't have the same recruiting base that you would at even that's at say Miami or uh, Maryland or South Carolina. Um, so, you know, that cuts off a certain pool of athletes. And, you know, at Illinois, Champaign, I don't know, for those of you who haven't been there, Champaign is in the middle of absolute nowhere, in the middle of the state in Illinois. And, you know, n- you don't want to go to Champaign. It's not a great town. Um, in the division alone, it's Illinois is a cut below Wisconsin, Nebraska, Iowa, and Minnesota at least. And yeah, I think you can make a – um, you can make an argument that North- Northwestern has overtaken Illinois as the premier program in the state, or even Northern Illinois for that for, the, for that much. So um, I'm I'm really down on the Illinois job. I think it's I think it's really tough. Red Grange walking through that door.
0: <laughs> well, uh, Matt, you say Illinois is your number six. Well, they're my number five. Okay, hang on. One, two, three, four, five. I I, I think it's one of those jobs that can be. If they get the right guy, if the AD hires the right guy, they can come in and blow the lid off the program. I, I think they're just just lying in the weeds right there, just waiting to blow the lid off of it. Not too long ago, they were in the Rose Bowl. Um, it seems like it was a really long time ago, but it wasn't too long ago there in the Rose Bowl. Even though they got their butt kicks for, butts kicked for Illinois, that was, that was a huge, huge deal. Um, if the administration can... Uh, hire the right guy. This could be an incredible job, and and, and they could go – they could be within a couple years of of really being a contender in the Big Ten.
2: And it's those reasons right there, Corey, why my fifth team is actually Maryland. I've got it as the worst Big Ten job. This is a campus that, despite being close to Washington, D.C., really feels like a cow college. It's not a very fun part of the – D.C. metro area to be in horrible facilities horribly run athletic department and they are in a division with Ohio State Michigan State Michigan Penn State they're in a battle with Rutgers and Indiana every year for fifth place in that division I would stay away from the Turps for sure
1: yeah they're my number five as well um you know in, in you know they have that huge Under Armour contract. And they're going to have a lot of cachet because of Under Armour, and with you know uh, you know with you know summer league seven on seven things that are sponsored by Under Armour, you will get a certain amount of recruits that are you know swayed by the gear and you know want to go where Under Armour is, and you know they're in a, a decent recruiting area. You know the, the D.C. the general D.C. area. Um, especially if you, if you continue down to the Tidewater area in Virginia, very, very photo recruiting ground. But like you said, they're in, you know, one of the most stacked divisions in the country. So um, they don't, you know, they're, they're, you know, what are they, a fourth-place team at best in their division? So
2: It would take a lot of things to go right for them to win that division on a regular basis,
0: if even just once or twice in a decade. You see, I, I think with the Under Armour, um, I, 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 I'm saying that that's going to be kind of similar to what Illinois is doing. I mean, I, I think with, with Under Armour, they're just waiting for the right guy. I think, uh, you know, they want the, the, the best guy, and if they can somehow lure somebody that Doug Plank is interested in, he will, he will put his entire backing to get what the program needs facility-wise, equipment-wise, uniform-wise. Like Oregon you with
1: know, still nice 10, 15 years ago?
0: Yeah, exactly. Okay. And, and then all of a sudden, boom, they can become relevant because they're in a great football state um, as far as the Mid-Atlantic. Um, you know, Maryland is, you know, they, they've got some pockets of some really good football, uh, especially in Baltimore with, uh, with good counsel, DeMatha, um, yeah, things like that. DeMatha
1: is the piece of a program.
0: Um, and you, you got some, you got some really, you know, beast programs right there. You got Virginia nearby, Virginia's, you know, loaded with some football talent that they can, that they can pluck from. Uh, they got Pennsylvania nearby. Um, they've got Ohio right nearby. Um, you know they can dip down in the southeast for for a couple kids. You yeah, know,
1: absolutely. you know you're, you're near Jersey as well. It's definitely good. Yeah. It's definitely good recruiting, but I think you know their their division is is, is the biggest issue with them. So
0: yeah, uh, it, it is, and, and they've got an uphill climb. But I, I think the right guy, um, and I'm not saying he's going to turn around instantly, but you know I think the right guy, three four years if they're patient, um, and they're Maryland, they have to be patient. Um, if, I, if I was and, if I was Maryland,
1: I would back the truck up for Tom Herman. Yes,
0: absolutely. I I I would too. You'd
1: be be the perfect fit for that program.
0: Yeah, that would be an absolute, absolute, absolute home run. And I had Maryland and and I know we're going in chronological order here, not chronological order, but sequence, reverse sequence order. Um, I actually had them. My next slot was Minnesota. I actually had them above Minnesota just because of the potential, uh, potential backing of one of the largest apparel companies in the world. So
1: Um, let's move to talking about uh, your number four in Minnesota. So you've got Minnesota at number four, uh, Coach. I've also got Minnesota at number four. Despite their seven national titles, one Heisman winner. uh, Quick, who won the Heisman for Minnesota and named the year? Josh?
2: uh, Wasn't it,
1: what's his name, Bernie somebody in, like, 1945? Oh, you're very close. He shares a name with the all-time NFL leader in sacks. It is Bruce Smith in 1941. Oh, um, oh. So, um, oh, I think I was thinking about their coach. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, um, with, with, with the you know with with the with the, uh, the stepping down of uh, Jerry Kill, uh, this is uh, the freshest of the uh, available uh, FBS jobs. You know, they've got a you know a new stadium up there, decent decent facilities, and obviously the Big Ten West is not the Big Ten East when it comes to competition, you know, Wisconsin and, the, and, and Nebraska and Iowa are probably, you know, are definitely above them, but there's no reason to think that Minnesota couldn't rise up and challenge them year in and year out. Uh, Josh, who was at f- number four for you?
2: I got the Illinois fighting Illini. Um, I feel like with all their issues that you brought up, Matt, in terms of the recruiting and not really being anywhere, I think some of that is mitigated by the fact that they're in an easier division. They have very, very realistic fans that as long as they win seven games, most years and every, every, every like five or six years break through the scene and, and have a nine or 10 win year, it's a basketball school and it's a realistic fan base that isn't going to put someone on the hot seat super quick. Um, they gave Zook plenty of time to, to figure that thing out. So, um, it's pretty attractive in terms of your potential job security going to Illinois.
0: Yeah. I mean, my, my piece about Minnesota, uh, you know, brand new, fresh stadium, very nice stadium. Um, You know, I think it's a – you know, from what I've heard, I don't know personally, but I've heard it's a great university. Um, Minneapolis is a great city to live in. I think the weather might be a factor. Um, It gets cold up there. Yeah, it gets a little chilly up there sometimes. Um, But, uh, I mean, you know, they do have some tradition. Um, They can look at notable alumni. or the only notable notable alumni that I know of is uh, Tony Dungy. Marion Barber, or a couple that jump out at me, but um, Max Williams, Tied end, high ramp, high high pick last year. They got yeah, Max they, Williams. They definitely have a tradition, but their
1: tradition goes way farther back. You know, they were. It, it were, does. It or, does.
0: And and the right guy can kind of come in and establish a, a new tradition. I think Jerry Kill has left the program in pretty good shape. Um, they're a lot more competitive than they have been in the last few years, last ten years. Um, you know, they're actually kind of, you know, they're, they're not far away. So anybody who takes this job um, is not taking over a total rebuild. So, you know, that's, that's the that's the bonus of it. Um, maybe they can convince Tony Dungy to come back into coaching. I don't know. Um, but uh, this job really intrigues me. Um, uh, I'd like to see kind of who gets it and, and, and kind of what they do with it.
1: I think that they're going to give Tracy Clays the chance to play himself into that job because they, they've – They've been really touting him as a great coordinator recently. One thing to think about, though, is that their their athletic director Beth Goats, is actually in, only an interim. So we don't know if she's going to have the power to say so on who they hire, or if they need to hire, if they're going to hire a new AD first, who then goes out and gets his guy or her guy in, in this case. So oh, we'll let's move up to number three, um, Josh. Who is who's up there in the in the bronze medal position? Well, you guys
2: have been talking a lot about teams with the new facilities and so i got to go with North Texas. They've got the newest stadium of everyone in this group. I think if you are a coordinator looking for a, a gig to get some head coaching experience, North Texas is pretty attractive by CUSA standards, great facilities and Den is so close to Dallas-Fort Worth that you have to be able to find a few recruits. It, it boggles the mind that The Mean Green have struggled so much recently.
0: Well, uh, my number three was Maryland. Um, I talked about them and what I thought about Maryland. So um, I will stand by and wait for number two.
1: Okay. Um, Well, my number three is the U. Um, they have five national titles, uh, most recently in 2001, uh, but they haven't won a conference title since we went to the ACC 11 years ago in 2004, which is kind of astonishing. Um, they're situated though, in literally the most fertile recruiting ground in the country between Dade and Broward counties. Uh, I mean, that's where, you know, so many of, you know, we get top 100, top 150, top 300 recruits are all coming from that area. You know, they're, they grow on trees basically down there. Um, however you've got a terrible stadium situation below average facilities and a recently cheap administration but there is I, I think that the being in that recruiting ground and being in the ACC where let's face it there's not a lot of if you win the ACC you can go undefeated in the ACC you'll probably get in to um, you know to the playoff and that's you are know, not as tough you basically got two teams to go through in Clemson and Florida State and I think you can you know, uh, the right coach can turn that situation
0: around so quickly and have the U roll in. Very true, very true, yeah. Uh, I I mean, everything everything you said about the U, I do agree with that. Um, I just think, you know, and and I agree to Josh to a certain degree, which is why I'm kind of almost splitting the difference between you two. Um, I think the administration could be a problem if they just, you know, unless, I don't know, they figure something out between now and then.
1: All right. Well,
0: uh, we got
1: to move on to number two. So, um, Josh, where, where are you sitting at number two? I got Minnesota.
2: Um, this is a team really?
1: that's,
2: that's won eight games, back-to-back seasons for the first time in a while. Massive facility upgrades, not just with a brand-new stadium, but the, the practice facilities, things like that. Jerry Keel really had the boat turned around. And um, I don't know if he'll get the job because – the, the remaining schedule is so difficult, but Tracy Clays is someone that I'm certainly going to be rooting for. I was reading about his uh, coming up through the ranks. And, uh, Coach, I don't know if this is worse than, than dealing with high school or as long a day as you have to, but uh, uh, Tracy Clays was a graduate assistant unpaid at Kansas and then went to Kansas State with the healthy salary of uh, $1. Oh. So he, so he was basically completely unpaid uh, for his first two stints, then went to high school as a math teacher and a co-defensive coordinator before hooking up with Jerry Kill in 1995
0: and been with Kill um, until just a few days ago when he became the head coach. That's uh, that's I'll, I'll take that as one of the most interesting tracks to become a college football power five head coach for 500 Trebek. But uh, – it- you know, I, you know that that story, you know, for high school coaches, got to make you feel confident that, you know, even though you're you're sitting in high school, um, there is always a chance for uh, big time college football. Um, you just got to be willing to take a slightly different path. Um, you might have to sacrifice some things that guys that have been in college for a while don't have to sacrifice. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think he's going to do a good job, and I think he's. Going to maybe audition himself, and uh, hopefully he does a good job, and he lands down there, in North Texas, with those new facilities, and uh, ready to compete in the Conference USA. <laughs>
2: you've got Tracy going from interim Minnesota coach to North Texas. Interesting.
0: Okay. That that would I, I would uh, that wouldn't be bad to see. So we'll That's see the, if he can get it done. Well,
1: right. well uh, I'm assuming, Coach, you've got uh, for your number two is South Carolina.
0: Yes, number two, South Carolina for me. Um, you look at conference uh, right now; they're in, they're they're in the SEC. Um, you know, you got a fan base that was a little that's a little spoiled by by Steve Spurrier, but I think there's enough momentum there as far as their most recent success. Even though they've had a horrendous this year this year, they were they were sort of down last year. I think the right guy can come in and say, "Hey, we're not too far removed from from three straight eleven win seasons," so um, they can get it back on track. I mean. Uh, Lou Holtz went like won like three games in his last two seasons. And Spurrier came in and blew the lid off the program. So it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for the next guy. Um, I think they're they're starting to, to improve everything around the university. The stadium is great. Uh, the the division they play in is is not the SEC West. So you got that going for you. A guy to come in and, and compete immediately for the East in two within two years. So. Um, you know, you're right there next to Georgia. Uh, the Carolinas are both great re- recruiting states. You know, you have East Tennessee right there that that has some, that has some talent. Um, and you know, of course, you're not too too far from Florida that you can grab some people from. So they hired the right guy, I think. Uh, you know, a Kirby Smart could finally get his first head wow. coaching job. That,
1: it, that, that that would if I was South Carolina, that's who I'd be. I'd be I mean, he's
0: a re- he's a recruiting juggernaut. We're not we don't know uh, as far as like. Running a program, um, but you know he's a recruiting juggernaut. He's a guy that that understands and, and has been with Nick Saban for for years and years and years. He would be the he would be the perfect hire for for South Carolina, um, and I think it's a, a tremendous job to take just because um, you know whether you like to admit it or not, they have become a high profile SEC job.
1: Yeah, and I think what you know the the SEC East is definitely the easier of the two divisions. Um, But something that I I think is a little bit interesting, Um, Josh, South Carolina has won two conference titles. Neither of them are in the SEC, and they are in two other conferences. Can you name them? South Carolina? Yeah. Well, the ACC, obviously. And the other one. And probably the Southern Conference? You nailed it on the head. 1933 in the Southern Conference, 1969 in the ACC. Um, obviously, you know, South Carolina won the SEC East in 2010. Um, and I think one of the things that I, I'm, I was thinking about with this job was that I think they have a lot of cachet with recent recruits. They always seem to be in on a lot of the high name guys. They got you Dave a couple of years ago when he was the number one recruit in the country. And I think that's more than just Spurrier. I think that sort of, you know, shows that this is a program that is trending in the right direction. And you know, yeah, their, their fans haven't spoiled by Spurrier, but I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to have high hopes and high expectations. So no,
0: certainly not. And and that shouldn't that shouldn't tarnish what type of job that South Carolina is. You know, I think you know, spoiled fans at some places can really ruin it, but I don't think South Carolina is one of those places.
1: No. Well, and then my process of elimination, that means we all have USC as the number one most coveted job, and that is to the surprise of absolutely no one. Um, Josh, seven Heisman winners from USC. Go. Who are they?
2: Oh, man. Um, Are we counting Reggie Bush? Yes. Okay. OJ Simpson? Yep. Uh, Marcus Allen? Yep. Carson? Yep. Liner. Yep. And four running backs. How many more running backs? Two. Two more running backs. Oh, my God. Uh, they got to be in the way back. I don't know. I feel like Alex I'm exhausted. White in
1: 1979 and Mike Garrett in 1965.
2: Yeah, um, before so, my
1: time. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. But, you know, uh, seven Heisen winners, 11 claimed national titles, most recently in 2003. Um, I mean, they are a clear cut above the rest of all the other jobs in terms of national perception, recruiting ability. You know, they own the West Coast. Anyone who's anyone in California, Arizona, Oregon, they, you know, they want to, come to, they want to come to USC. It is the GLAM program in Los Angeles. It is the number no- – I you know I'm a UCLA alum, and even I will admit that USC is still the number one program in Los Angeles. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, I, I would – Put it in context of like an ACT style an analogy. Ohio State is to the Big Ten as USC is to the Pac-12. Or replace that with Alabama and the SEC. Or replace that with Texas or Oklahoma from the Big Twelve. I mean, they're, they're the they are the the gig in the Pac-12.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Coach, what do you think about this SC team? You've got them number one as
0: well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was a slam dunk number one. It wasn't even I – mean, there was a huge sizable gap. I don't think USC East was going to sneak into that spot. Uh, they just <laughs> – you know, they're in a great – they own – they're the number one university in in uh, one of the top three recruiting states of California. Um, don't, it doesn't matter what Stanford does, what UCLA does, what Cal State Fullerton does, what Sacramento State does. Um what Cal does, what, you know, what any of these California schools, and uh, I was being a little facetious there when I was doing that, but um, it doesn't matter what they do. USC is going to rule the roost. They, they're they the most notable um, seven Heisman Trophy winners, um, great tradition. All the celebrities are boosters of of, of USC. Um, it's kind of like uh, Lakers Clippers out there. They're the Lakers, UCLA's the Clippers, um, and it just, you know, all the talent they have right now on the roster, they have a loaded roster right now as we speak. I mean, um, they, they've had a couple of huge recruiting classes lately. Not- absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's not like Stark walked out of there with a, with a bare cupboard. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's, you know, that's why it was such an easy slam dunk number one. And to be honest with you, um, my prediction by the end of the season is not going to be a vacancy. Um, I think Clay Helton – um, if he continues this trend, which I think he will, um, I think he might just take the interim tag off, and he might be the guy.
1: I would be very surprised if Pat Hayden keeps Helton around, but I think that's a different. I think that's a different discussion for a different podcast because we really need to move to uh, looking at the big games this weekend. I'm I'm foreshadowing. Yes, indeed. Yeah. That'll probably be uh, an end of the season wrap. Uh, we'll be, when we talk about after black Monday, um, all of the jobs that are open get on the coaching carousel, um, put a, put our 25 cents in and go for a ride. So, um, well, we need to get to some of the big games this weekend and it doesn't get any bigger than the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Does it, Corey?
0: No, absolutely. It does not. Um, some interesting storylines coming into this game, uh, Florida comes in as a three-point favorite. Obviously, they're ranked 11th in the country, um, rightfully so. As of right now, I think uh, despite the lack of offense, really, because um, even in the LSU game, their defense really set up a lot of their success. Special teams set up a lot of their success, even putting points up on the board. Um, they come in ranked 11th, ranked nationally. Um, what makes this game really interesting, it's a, it's a neutral site in Jacksonville, Florida, um, at the home of the Jaguars, um, what's even more interesting is the uh, the party scene that's going to go on in the in the uh, pool at, at whatever they call that stadium now, um, EverBank Field, I think is what it's called now. Um, so all of that being said, uh, for Georgia fans, um, they they're already down there. They got down there two days ago um, in their RV caravans, and they've been partying all week long. It's fall break at the University of Georgia right now, so all the students are down there. Um, it's a huge party down in St Simon's uh, for Georgia fans they make a weekend out of it um, and they love it and it's a, there's a lot that's going on surrounding this game for Florida fans, they come over friday it's a huge 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 party uh, for them as well. Friday night at the Jacksonville landing is always an interesting night There's always a few thousand fights that break out between Georgia and Florida fans so it's an, it's an absolute i mean it it almost rivals Mardi Gras. And by almost rivaling Mardi Gras, I mean not really. But um, as far as the game goes, um, I know we want to talk about the game a little bit. Uh, Treon Harris comes in; he he filled in quite nicely for a suspended quarterback Will Greer uh, for Georgia. They're going to have to figure out the quarterback situation too. Um, the rumors are um, from practice that Fatome Bata, the third-string quarterback, is getting reps with the first team. Um, they're going to take a long, serious look at at putting him in. Um, and giving him a look, uh, and I think they're going to put in some zone read packages for him, and and I think they're going to tailor uh, some things to his strength. Um, so look out for that. Um, otherwise, it's going to be Grayson Lambert again, and try to see if he can get some confidence going, hit some throws early uh, for there. The defense for Georgia is going to have to contain Treon Harris. Uh, Treon Harris is another guy that can really beat you um, as a dual threat quarterback, not only through the air, but um, when, when things collapse and the pocket breaks down he 's somebody that can that can really put a defense in some, in some tough situations. Uh, the running back situation with Nick Chubb being out sony michelle 's going to carry the load he certainly can do so. But he comes in nicked up. Hopefully, uh, after the bye week, he's a little bit more rested up. But that means Brendan Douglas and Keith Marshall are really going to have to step up, get some quality carries so that Sony Michelle doesn't have to tote the rock 40 times for, for Georgia to have a chance. Uh, special teams has been awful uh, for Georgia. So if Georgia wants to stand a chance, the, the third most important phase of football um, is going to have to – you know i don't even want to say improve um it's going to have to at least worst case scenario be competent um because field, you know shanked punts allowing block punts allowing fakes uh bad kickoff coverage bad punt coverage all have led to um negative things happening um and has greatly contributed to to, to the two losses that georgia has suffered um they need to play a relatively clean game. They need to control the clock and control the field position. so time of possession is going to be really important in this one. Uh, the weather looks – you know, the weather forecast looks to be good. So weather's not going to – weather shouldn't be an issue. Um, and if they want to win, they're going to have to play uh, one of the cleanest games they've played all year long as far as mistakes, penalties, uh, assignment busts, things like that. So uh, for Georgia, it's going to be an uphill climb. For Florida um, – they just need to get their offense going. Treon Harris is just going to need to uh, to really set up some situations and set up some long drives for, for them. Um, he needs some success early. Run game with Kelvin Taylor. Get him rolling. Uh, last year, Florida won 41-10, I believe, was the score. And I think they ran power 41 times um, and even to the same side. Um, so maybe they can have some success doing that as well. Um, defense. Defense. Uh, this is not only a key, but it's also a prediction. They're going to make quarterbacks' life miserable. Um, If they make Georgia one-dimensional, it doesn't matter who you put in there at quarterback, they're not going to stand a chance because Florida's Florida's pass rush is uh, one of the tops in the country. So um, it'll be interesting. Um, I'm going to say... Uh, with Georgia's quarterback situation being in such disarray with uh, with so much youth going around, um, I think Jacksonville is already a tough place to play. I think Florida is going to win. Uh, I think they're going to win by 13 points. I will say 34-20. Uh, That's 14 points, but who's doing the math?
1: Yeah, Josh, uh, what, what, you got anything to add on that?
2: Uh, I was – Desperately Googling third-string running backs coming in and playing meaningful time in a rivalry and seeing how well uh, well they did. And I got a Google hit. Unfortunately, it's the 1977 Red River shootout. So it's not too well known for third-stringers to have much success. That's why I really like Florida in this game. Uh, coach did a great job breaking it all down, as you'd expect with this being – his Bulldogs, his conference. I won't add on too much other than that is not a pretty quarterback situation that Mark Rick has to deal with against a defense that is nineteenth in the country.
1: Yeah, and that's yeah. quarterbacks alive. I mean, for Hargreaves, we've talked about him so many times. He's such a beast on the I mean, he makes he's, you know, the collegiate virgin of, of Revis Island right now. Um, you know. Oh yeah you know, if, if you're, you know, they'll throw him on Malcolm Mitchell and he won't be able to do a thing the whole game. So, um, you know, that'll be, um, you know, that, that'll be an interesting matchup to watch. But if they're going, you know, if they're, if they're going, you know, read option, you know, oh, I, I, I fear for the safety of the Georgia backs because the, the defensive front of Florida is, is pretty beastly. Well, our second game, uh, is we're going to head just a little bit north to Carter-Finley Stadium in Raleigh, where the number three Clemson Tigers – Fresh off their absolute shellacking of the U in Miami, uh, take on Dave Doran's NC State Wolfpack. Um, so, Josh, uh, NC State's been on a little bit of a skid lately, haven't they?
2: Yeah, uh, that 4-0 start quickly gave way to a 1-2 and conference start. They're coming off a nice game at Wake, but, again, that's at Wake. I just think Clemson is beyond dialed in right now, and – You know, in the past, and with other teams, you can make an argument that they would be looking past them to Florida State and maybe have a a stumble, but I think Dabo has this team smelling blood. I I don't think they slip up at all. I got them winning this. It might not be 58 nothing again, but I would not be surprised if I see half a hundred drop in this game.
0: Yeah, I mean they, you know, they're already averaging thirty-eight and a half points per game. They're second in conference. Um, Watson, I mean, what can you say? Player of the year. He might even be in the running for uh, the Maxwell Award. Um, I don't know if it's too soon, or I don't know if he's done enough to get any garner any Heisman looks. But um, you know, certainly no one. Um, no one besides Leonard Fournette has really jumped out in the race. Um I say, Boy- say
1: Trayvon Boykin is, is is right there with him.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Trayvon Boykin. Uh, but you got. I mean, you know, as, as an outside shot, you gotta you gotta at least consider Deshaun Watson. Oh, um, absolutely. You know, I, I think Clemson has. You know, their team that's just for some reason. You know, they had a, they had the same team last year for for the most part, um, but. You know, they're a team that that just comes and that they play with a certain kind of purpose, a purpose that I've that I haven't really ever seen. I think that, you know, um, I'll tell you who could win most improved coach every year is Dabo Sweeney. Um, you know, he's gotten head and shoulders better every single year. You know, when he first took over, they went. I think his first season, when they were six and seven. They lost their bowl game. Uh, and then he just kept climbing the ladder from there. It, it looked, you know, about year three as a, as if he was going to be uh, let go and fired. But, you know, that's certainly not the case. He's certainly taken it the complete opposite direction. And I think he's a guy that's kind of, you know, earning his way up the ranks. I think Clemson's, a, a, as, as they stand right now, um, we'll really see what they got next week against Florida State. But uh, I think they're a playoff team. Um, I think they can really contend in the playoffs, they, they kind of, they don't play like a true ACC team. I think they kind of, they kind of play as a hybrid of PAC 12 and, uh, SEC, uh, cause I think defensively they get after you. Um, they're fast in their front seven, they fly around, they swarm the football and they get after you. Um, and, and their offense kind of operates like a PAC 12 offense. They just, I mean, they're just all over the place and, 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 they're just lightning quick, and um, they, they don't huddle. They don't give you any time to rest. So um, they're, they're more physical than I gave them credit for probably in, in the beginning of the year, and they're just – you know, and, and not to completely ignore NC State, but I just really don't – I just really think they're running into a buzzsaw. I, I, I'm going to agree with Josh on this one um, for my very long-winded agreement with Josh.
1: Yeah, if, uh, if NC State's going to stay in this one – it's gonna be a heavy dose, a heavy dose of Matthew Days on the ground. Um, you know, he's having a pretty solid season for himself. hashtag Year the running back already at almost 800 yards in the season yeah. um, and 12 touchdowns. So that'll be interesting to see. But yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's probably Clemson by, uh, you know. Clemson by, you know, well into double digits. So um, let's move on from there to our next game that we're going to take a look at, which is uh, the Oklahoma State Pokes uh, heading in to West Texas, to Lubbock, to Jones AT&T Stadium to take on the Red Raiders, the Fighting Cliff Kingsberries of Texas Tech. Um, Patrick Mahomes has been an absolute terror through the air uh, on Big 12 opponents, but – um, you know, it's you know another year, another you know another quarterback in the air raid offense for them, isn't it, Josh?
2: Yeah, you know, um, you look at their losses, and he still puts up really, really strong numbers. Um, had a had a rough go of things against Oklahoma with four interceptions, um, but you know that, that's to be expected. Oklahoma's a better team, I think. If you look at his numbers against TCU and Baylor, they were a lot more representative of what he can do. Uh, I think one thing that is kind of getting lost in the shuffle of this Texas tech team is DeAndre Washington, hashtag Year the running back, 837 yards, eight touchdowns, averaging almost seven yards a carry. Um, we don't really think of Texas tech running backs, but he's having a nice season. I would put Oklahoma state on upset alert. This is a team that yes, they blew out Kansas last week in an emotional victory, but Before that, tight game with West Virginia. Before that, two point game with Kansas State. Before that, three point game against Texas. Red Raiders, yeah, they got blown out by Oklahoma, but before that, they smoked Iowa State. They gave TCU all they could handle, and they had a nice road win against Arkansas. This Red Raider team has some funky stuff happen in Lubbock, and it is Halloween. I think the Pokes get it done. But if this is a, a one-possession game late in the
0: fourth quarter, all I can say is I told you so. And uh, he, here, here's, a, here's a stat that jumps out at me. Um, in Oklahoma State, if they were um, better in the run, um, if they're struggling in the run game, the right opponent has come to town. Texas Tech ranks 125th nationally in rushing defense. They give up an average of 281.5 yards per game. Uh, there's only two teams they're ahead of in rushing defense. That's New Mexico State and Eastern Michigan. Um, so I don't know where you guys would put them on the, uh, on the coaching vacancy, uh, rankings, but I don't know if it's going to, I don't think it's going to be above USC. So, um, they got a lot of work to do in the run game. Um, of course, Oklahoma State is averaging 40 points a game. Um, they're, they're averaging giving up close to, to that. So, uh, Oklahoma State, it, I, you know, I, I think, I think what happens to them in, in these games, they get in, they get involved in so many of these shootouts, uh, so, many of the, so many of these games where um, they have to scramble and be frantic to score, um, and they have to score early and often because if they don't, they're going to get behind because their defense can't hold up. Um, you know, I think, you know, the, the one bright spot on their defense is uh, Emmanuel where He leads with eight sacks. Um, but against the run, I guess they struggle, and, and, and for some reason they've – you know they struggled uh, throughout. So, um, you know, defensively, um, offensively, they're they're uh, the exact opposite of that, and that's why they're still undefeated um, in the Big Twelve. So, uh, I, I think you know, all that being said, yeah, yeah, you're gonna have to put them on upset alert. Texas Tech has been playing above their head. Um, you know, they had DeAndre Washington. Um, rushing almost for a 1,000 yards at this point. Uh, defensively, they've played a little bit better um, than you would expect um, after making a change in the offseason, season defensive coordinator. Um, they're certainly a team that can beat you. They're certainly a team that can compete this year, and, and thankfully for Cliff Kingsbury, um, he might just get to stay at his uh, alma mater. So uh, that all being said, I think Oklahoma State's going to move to 8-0. I think they're going to do it on the arm of Mason Rudolph. Uh, I think he's going to have a big day for the pokes. And I think they're going to completely dismantle Texas Tech. I think it's going to be a a two touchdown game uh, for the Cowboys. And, uh, you know, I think they just, I think they just are going to impose their will on this Texas Tech team.
1: Well, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how much uh, the Pokes rely on J.W. Walsh as that change up at quarterback. They've been going to a more and more true true two quarterback system over the last few weeks. So, um, but if it's a you know if it's a big shootout, I expect to see I expect to see Rudolph and thing in there it around. But um, you know. We'll see how. Well, obviously, we'll see how that goes um, on the field on Saturday. But uh, we now move to uh, probably the game I'm most excited about this week, or one of the, maybe the second most excited about. But Notre Dame visiting Temple in Philadelphia. This is uh, this is going to be a, weirdly enough a clash of the titans, uh, primetime game on Saturday night on ABC at the link. Uh, you know. Number twenty-one Temple undefeated, uh, taking on number nine Notre Dame. Uh, this is going to be, uh, you know, this could be. If we thought Temple's coming out party was the first week against Penn State, this could really be something else if they take down Notre Dame as well, wouldn't it, Josh?
2: Yeah, I, I love, I love this Temple team. I don't know how you can't. They're so blue collar. They attack the quarterback like some wild banshees. They're a fun team to watch. They're really well coached outside of the East Carolina game where they had some insane penalties that they just tried to shoot themselves in the foot left and right that game. But unfortunately, when you have this much pressure, the prime time, college game day, people are saying this is the biggest game in school history. I wouldn't and
1: disagree with them.
2: That, that is immense pressure, and I think Notre Dame – is going to find a way to win. It might not be pretty because of that Temple defense, but I think when it's all said and done, Notre Dame wins by a couple touchdowns. Uh, I was really looking at Deshaun Kaiser's numbers, and as you would expect, they've just gotten better and better and better with more and more playing time. And even in their loss against Clemson, his adjusted QBR was 86.6, which is nothing to sneeze at. He threw for 321 yards in that furious comeback in the rain, Kaiser is, as I said about Clemson, Kaiser is dialed in. As a result, this Irish team, very, very formidable.
0: And uh, here, here's what I love about this matchup. You know, you got a Temple team 7-0 and uh, coming in. Jahad Thomas is leading the way with uh, 822 yards on the ground, 12 touchdowns. Um, you know, he's... Scored five of those in the last two games um, and wins over Central Florida and East Carolina, which in the preseason um, looked like two really great wins. However, Central Florida is not such a good win. That's basically a glorified high school team at this point. Um, East Carolina obviously being uh, their signature win to this point. Uh, what I like about Temple is they play a very physical brand of football. Their they're team is going to cram it down your throat in the run game. Uh, they're a team that's going to beat you up on defense and they're a team that takes great, tremendous pride in special teams. So um, that being said, I think Notre Dame is a very, very talented team. C.J. Prosythe, uh Deshaun Kaiser, I think are playing really well right now. Uh, you also have uh, Fuller at wide receiver um, who, who's electric and, and can make big plays at any time. Um, I think they find a way to, uh, I think they find a way to get both of those guys involved in the game. And I think Deshaun Kaiser is going to chip in as well. Um, I think Notre Dame is going to do enough to win. Um, uh, I think it's going to be an ugly win for them. I think it's going to be probably one of their more phys- physically taxing games that they play all season. Um, it's going to be one of those games where all the pain management supplies, um, are going to have to be reordered and restocked in the Notre Dame training room. Um, because I think you know, Temple's a team that's going to leave their mark. You know, you're going to you're going to sit there on on Sunday Sunday morning in treatment, and there's going to be a lot more people this week than there than there have been in the previous weeks. Well, that you, see, uh,
1: you, know, you know, coach, that's like that's what I'm worried about is that Notre Dame's been hit by so many injuries already that you know they're they're getting kind of thin, and like you said, Temple hits hard,
0: and yeah, and I, I'm I, not saying they're going to be injured. i I'm, I'm saying. More so, uh, to make a program reference, they're going to be hurt, not injured. There's going to be a lot of guys getting treatment for minor bumps and bruises and and a couple of, you know, a a lot of minor injuries, but things that come from playing a very hard-fought physical game, um, stuff like that. But, yeah, I mean, they're already thin, so they can't afford to really uh, survive too much of a blood fest, though. No, they really can't.
1: I mean, I'm the eternal optimist, and I will definitely be rooting for Temple on Saturday night. So, um, well, uh, two uh, two more games to get to. The first one is the Little Brown Jug, Michigan, heading into uh, the Twin Cities uh, to play Minnesota at TCF Bank Stadium. Josh, classic Big Ten rivalry here.
2: Uh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, rivalry and trophy only. Michigan completely dominates them. I think every Gopher fan would rather beat Wisconsin and and Iowa, and I think every Michigan fan would rather beat Ohio State. But uh, still, an interesting game. I think this comes down to Michigan's pass defense. The only time they've lost, Travis Wilson threw up an adjusted QBR of eighty-five and a half. Connor Cook. His adjusted QBR, sixty-nine point two. Mitch Lightner's adjusted QBR has only gotten to sixty-nine once this year. That was against Ohio. Simply put, Leitner is not a good enough quarterback to make Michigan scared. Wolverine's big.
0: I agree. I totally agree with you. Um, and not because I think Minnesota is a bad team right now. Uh, they're sitting at four and three right now. Um, and they're going to be playing inspired football. Uh, I think they're going to rally around, um, Jerry kill and, and, and try to just, you know, win in honor of him. Cause I think those players truly loved Jerry kill. And, and it's a very unfortunate situation, um, and circumstances that he had to retire under. Um, but you know, He's doing the right thing by keeping his uh, health in mind because without your health, who are you? So um, I think they're going to play very hard, very physical. Um, not not that they don't already, but I think they're going to take it up even an extra notch um, because of Jerry Kill and because they want to just kind of play hard for him. Um, but I think Michigan's a buzzsaw. Uh, I think it's a bad matchup for them. I think Drake Johnson um, is going to get back in the mix. Uh, Jabril Peppers is going to get in the mix. Um, you know, he, he's, he's rising up the charts here. Uh, they have Jordan Lewis who is a semifinalist for the Thorpe award. Um, their special teams certainly, um, can go up, can't, can't go down any further, especially the punt coverage unit. Um, so they're going to bounce back from that. I, I think there's just a lot of things going right. Um, For Michigan, I think they were a victim of an unfortunate circumstance against a great team. Uh, I I don't, they, they controlled that game against Michigan State pretty much the whole way. Um, a couple bad circumstances set them up for a loss and, and that third phase jumped up and bit them. So I don't think it's enough of a concern to really worry about that it's going to plague them the whole year. Um, I just think, you know, Jim Harbaugh is going to have him ready to play. Um, and he's going to get, Everybody he can involved, Uh, they're going to get the ball in the hands of their playmakers um, and they're going to get a a run game established because that's who Jim Harbaugh is. He wants to, you know, he wants to get that run game set up so those quarterbacks can have great success.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that, like you know, just like what you guys have said, this should be, you know, it'll be. Uh, I think it'll be a, t- a very tough emotional game for the, for the for the uh, for the Golden Gophers, and so um, I think the Wolverines win this one handily. But um, probably uh, one of the most intriguing games of this week is happening in Pullman, Washington, um, where you know where the winner of this game is in uh, is in control in the uh, Pac-12 North. Um, So it's when Stanford travels up to play uh, the Fighting Pirates of Washington State. Um, Josh, do you think that uh, Washington State's uh, uh, defense will be able to handle this really powerful Stanford O?
2: Is Pullman-Washington in the central time zone? No. Is this game being played 9 a.m. body time?
1: Uh, I do not believe so. It's
2: being played at 7.30
1: p.m. body time.
2: There's your answer. Stanford, we can... I hate using excuses, but the Northwestern game, the more and more it has told me that Northwestern, better than we all expected, and these 9 a.m. body time start games are not conducive. We saw the same thing really happen to BYU playing in Ann Arbor. So I like the Stanford Cardinal big. I've got them in my tournament. I've got them second, I believe, maybe third in my latest poll, Um, but that's not to say Washington State won't keep this game close. Uh, Luke Falk, incredible. You expect big numbers from any Washington State or Texas Tech quarterback, but just because you're putting up big numbers doesn't mean you can't put your team in a bad position, and let's be honest, Falk hasn't done that. Only four interceptions this year, in 387 attempts, that's insane. Falk has been controlling the ball really, really well this year. Hats off to him, and hats off to Washington State for an improved season and making a bowl game. But they don't get it done this week.
0: Yeah, you know Washington State. I, you know, I think you hit the nail right on the head, Josh. Um, they, they, you know, much improved. Five and two. Uh, Staring a bowl bid, staring a good bowl bid, right in, right in the face. But I think they're going to have to wait till next week to get back on that track. I think Stanford's just too strong for them. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, um, he's a guy that can do it all for for Stanford. He he's kind of their, uh, he's kind of their playmaker. Um, he, he he's decent. He can hold his own. You know, um, defensively they they get after you. They just play a physical brand of football. They they're, they're kind of like the anti Pac-12 team. Um, because uh, they play so much different than than everybody else. I think the closest team that plays their brand of football is UCLA. Um, and I just really kind of like what David Shaw's done. Um, he's taken some of these—I don't want to say no-name recruits. Um, but I want, but I will say he's taken some of these lesser, lesser recruits and and really just said, you know what, recruiting matters only how much you coach them up when you get here. You can hire you can get all these five-star guys in here. Um and yeah, they're going to win you some games, but you got to coach them up too. So, um they're they're proving that, you know, three stars and a couple four stars can get it done. So, um I just really like what they do. I really I think they're going to I think they're going to blow out Washington State um because they know that what's at stake is the Pac-12 North. I, I, I think they see the playoff there in the near in the near distance, and they just want to go and get it. Um, I think uh, was it you, Matt, that used the analogy of "blood in the water" earlier? I think that was Josh. Was that you, Josh, that used the analogy of "blood in the water"? Sounds like something I would say. Well, they see the blood in the water. Um, I, I, I like it. Like- I Almost steal that line from me. They they see the blood in the water, and and then they're ready to attack. And I think they're just ready. Uh, Washington State uh, because they're much improved. They're talented. Um, they're probably one of the more talented Washington State teams um, that they fielded in, in quite some time. Um, led by the uh, led by the Pirate Man. Uh, they're going to compete. They're going to play hard. Um, they'll be in it for. They'll be in it maybe till halftime. I think they'll make it tough on Stanford until halftime and then Stanford's just gonna pull away, I believe. So um looking forward to this one actually. I kinda I kinda wanna see what Washington State's got. I kinda uh if I don't fall asleep, um because I don't sleep these days with the with the new baby, um maybe I'll get a chance to watch this one and just kinda see how Washington State really plays and get a really good idea of, of what they do and how they do it. So um that being said, I like Stanford big in this one. Can we do a
2: uh, like the old Nerf ball days where you have the permanent quarterback? Can Luke Falk play quarterback for both teams? Because I would like to see him toss some deep strikes to some of those great Stanford receivers oh as well as as well as get the ball to McCaffrey. That'd be fun. Well, yeah, I mean, it's gonna be it's
0: gonna be all McCaffrey all day. <laughs> I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think I think they can do that. I think at halftime, when when Stanford's up by by a few touchdowns, they might just declare him all time quarterback.
1: That would, uh, I think that would, I think that would help uh, a couple teams in
0: uh, in, in these matchups. Uh, that that certainly would help. Insert SEC team here. Um, I, I think I've, I've never seen an overall conference struggle with quarterback play as, as much as the SEC is struggling with that this year. Well, maybe um, that could be, uh, maybe we, we'll get to that ne- uh, next week on the podcast. Maybe we can power rank the SEC
1: quarterbacks because it's not pretty. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what power rank? <laughs>
1: So uh, that would be fun, but uh, we to, power we, guys. But we, we um we have we, got to move on from the play action to our spread formations. And so somehow, even though we all had a bunch of different picks last week, we all ended up at three and two. So uh, Josh is uh, uh, sitting at twenty two and nineteen. Corey by percentage points in the lead nineteen and 16, 19 and sixteen on the year. And I'm trying to get back to 500, and I'm 19 and 21. So our first one of the week, we have uh, the aforementioned Illinois Fighting Illini heading to Happy Valley uh, to take on the Penn State team that's getting four and a half, four and a half points. Uh, Josh, what you got?
2: Well, every time I've picked Penn State to cover in my blog, they've come back to bite me. Every time I've said take the points, they come back to bite me. So I don't know what to bet with Penn State. But I was looking at Illinois and and re, kind of examining their loss to Wisconsin because this was a weird game. They uh, they were ten overs in that game. Yeah, they were down seventeen to thirteen after leading in the third quarter, thirteen to ten. They just had no balance. They passed it forty three times, ran the ball just thirteen times, and the. The time of possession was terrible. Wisconsin had almost 41 minutes in that game. I think Illinois Illinois is going to come out much, much more balanced. Penn State has a good defense, but it's not nearly as good as Wisconsin. I'm going to just, you know, throw throw something at the wall and hope it sticks. I'm going to take the points and say that Illinois steals a monumental upset in Happy Valley. You don't want to play Penn State when they have a night game and a whiteout. This is kind of an 11 a.m. sleeper ESPN2. It'll probably be a slowly arriving crowd after a few drinks. Maybe Illinois stings them early with Wes Lunt to Geronimo Allison. I don't know why, but I'm going to take Illinois.
0: Well, uh, Josh, in a, for different reasons, I'm going to agree with your pick. Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I think they need to get things figured out because um, if I'm the defense coordinator, I'm 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 very much heated um, at the fact that um, you're not holding on to the ball very much offensively um, that that can wear out a defense. Um, if they have a time of possession that is so that is as lopsided as that, they'll get killed. They'll get run out of the building. I think Penn State's good enough to do that. Um, defensively. Um, West Lund is going to have to have a big game. I think that he does. Um, I think Penn State's just kind of hit a lull. I think Illinois is one of those teams that they, you know, they're 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 scrappy. And they're another one of those teams where there's a really good chance that that job might not be a vacancy at the end of the season either. So, um, you know, I, I think it's probably more of a legitimate chance than USC's. But, uh, you know, I, I, I like – Illinois, um, I don't think they're just going to – I don't think they're going to steal and I think they're going to outplay Penn State in Happy Valley, and I think they're going to come out – I think they're just going to come out with a straight-up win.
1: Um, all right. Well, that's, weirdly enough, a clean sweep for the Fighting line a from us. <laughs> Never thought I'd say I, that. I mean, uh, that's,
2: I, what happened, that's what happens when you're Penn State and you beat Army by six points at home and you get waxed by Ohio State. I mean – What are you hanging your hat on if you're picking Penn State?
1: Yeah, not not much. Um, Our second game we've got um, Mountain West favorite um, San Diego State uh, giving three and a half on the road in Fort Collins, uh, playing the Fighting Bobos um, of Colorado State. Uh, Josh, are you gonna? I know you really like the San Diego State squad.
2: Yeah, you know, they started out one and three, but uh, two of their losses were at Cal and at Penn State. Um, the, the one to Utah, to Southern Alabama was was baffling, but Rocky Long's really turned it around, undefeated in conference play. Uh, Colorado State struggling right now at three and four, but really looked bad at Utah State and against Boise State. Um I like the Aztecs. I think this Rocky Long team has an identity. We've always known him to enjoy uh, running the ball. And Donnell Pomfrey, really under the radar, playing so many late games out in San Diego. But he's over 900 yards on the season and 10 touchdowns. He's definitely one of the elite backs of that conference. And uh, really a, a sleeper elite back, I would say, in the entire country. It'll be interesting to see how Pomfrey does in the bowl game when they eventually get there against some higher uh, profile competition, so I'll take the Aztecs.
0: Well, when when all things are equal, um, usually you try to defer to the Mountain West home t- team. That's kind of how it typically works in that conference, and that's how could, that's how it could play out this this Saturday. But I, I just think it's one of those you know really tough learning seasons for Mike Bobo. Um, you know, I don't I don't think he's a bad coach. I just think he's in a, a situation. Um, you know that he 's never been in as far as lack of talent and and just kind of uh, new to the new to the whole head coaching deal because he 's been an offensive coordinator so long um, he 's still got a lot of things to learn he 's still got a lot of things to figure out and clean up but uh, that being said, I think they compete I, I think if as long as they keep improving each week, um, they can maybe sneak out some of these wins i don 't think that 's going to happen this week. I think the Aztecs are going to win a big one on the road um, to to move closer to Competing for the Mountain West Championship, I yeah. like the Aztecs.
1: I'm going to gobble up the points with Colorado State. Um, I think that let their win last week over Air Force was a turning point in this season, and they were able to bottle up Air Force's run game. And I'm I'm predicting they're going to do the same thing against the Aztecs.
2: They're very different running games. Though, I
1: I, I I mean obviously triple option at air force more much more of a power game with, at, with San Diego State but I, it's it, it it's still you're, you're still filling gaps you're you're still um you know uh, you're, you're still trying to, you know focus running downhill tackling downhill and I just I'm such a sucker for the Rams that I it, it's so hard for me to pick against them so I'm, oh,
0: I'm It was nearly I, impossible for me but I I just I I see them improving um, I just think you know, they're going to run into a team that they just – they I mean, Colorado State in this game could play one of their best games of the year and still lose by two touchdowns.
1: Okay. Well, um, our next game is going a little bit – going a little off the board for our our next game here. We have the battle of the F blank U's. We've got FIU getting – or giving two and a half on the road at FAU. So, you, uh, Josh, are you are you an American? Or are you international? <laughs> I'm going with the Golden Panthers, the international
2: variety of uh, Florida schools. They are uh, they're four and four, but uh, two and two in conference play. But they they played Louisiana Tech fairly well. Who's a favorite to win a division in that conference? They beat Central Florida, which I know is going through a tough season. But in terms of the talent on paper, UCF should still be better. They gave Indiana a little, little bit of a struggle, but uh, I like I like their quarterback, Alex McGo. He's one of the better QBs in conference USA. 14 touchdowns, 10 interceptions as a freshman, and he's one of the reasons why they're playing way better. Sophomore campaign, 17 TDs to three picks. He's having a great sophomore year and. Florida Atlantic just 1-6, and 1-3, and and the one time I saw them play much of a game was, I don't know why, but I was watching their Buffalo game because it was kind of a slow-motion train wreck. Each team got a safety in it. It was a weird game, and FAU had five turnovers. And when you leave that bad an impression, I'm going to pick against you. So I'll take the Panthers to cover that spread.
0: Josh, uh, you really just talked me into Florida International right there. Um, Alex Mugot, he does it for everyone. (laughs) Exactly. Admittedly so. I really know next to nothing about this matchup. Um, (laughs) At least you're honest. I'm honest in the fact that um, I can't cover the entire country, Um, nor do I want to pretend like I can cover the entire country. Um, I haven't seen any of these two teams play in the last two years. I uh, don't know much about them. Um, I just know that they are both in South Florida, um, both relatively in the same area, I do believe. Um, so I'm going to pick the international version of the FUs, and, uh, and I will go with the Golden Panthers.
1: Um, well, I'm, I'm going to go with the Golden Panthers as well, but I do want to uh, send a small shout-out to uh, FAU head coach. Former Badger uh, coordinator Charlie Partridge, um, who you know. Oh, I thought you were about to say Matt Canada. Oh no, <laughs> I, I I believe Matt Canada is at uh, I believe Matt In- Canada Northern, Northern Illinois he's either at Northern Illinois or NC State.
0: Uh, <laughs> I think and, it was NC State last I heard.
1: Yeah, I, think, last, he's, oh. I think he's an offensive coordinator up there. But yeah. um, you know, Charlie Partridge, another guy who you know, a, a, another branch from the. Uh, Barry Alvarez coaching tree, if you will. So, you know, which, which leads back to Hayden Fry, which is, uh, one of the greatest coaching trees in, in history, if you're not familiar with that. But, um, you know, I think that, like you guys said, it's, um, uh, it's all about McGo. So, um, yeah, let's go Mago. Um, heading into, um, a SEC East matchup where we have, uh, the Volunteers of Tennessee coming off, um, a tough game. Uh, to Alabama, uh, uh, giving nine on the road at Kentucky. Josh, uh, Wildcat, you want the Wildcat the upset in this one?
2: Uh,
1: well, I will, uh,
2: I'll pull a Corey and admit something. I don't watch too much of either of these teams. I've seen bits and pieces of them. When two things feel equal, I like to look at their best win, worst win, best loss, worst loss. And with Kentucky, I'm struggling to identify what their best win is. And Carolina, with, maybe? And, and with Tennessee, it's pretty easy. They had a really nice comeback against a Georgia team that we were still high on at the time. And their best loss is a one point game at Florida. I will take the vols on the road, and uh, I believe they are nine point third nine, which seems crazy, but Kentucky got rolled their last game against Mississippi State. I think Tennessee can cover that. I know it's a big road road spread, but I'll take them.
0: Yeah, preseason, I was I would have picked Kentucky. Um, they're a very talented team. They play hard. They're they're good. I like P- Patrick Tolles was one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC coming into the season. Uh, I just think they're out of gas. I, I think Kentucky's out of gas. I think they've just kind of they've kind of struggled their way into a good record. Um, And their, their series record with Tennessee is uh, I don't think they've won. I don't think they've beaten Tennessee in the last 29 years, I believe is what it is at at this point. Um, I'll I'll look up that stat as I ramble on more about this, this matchup. Uh, Tennessee has played strong all year long. Uh, You know, they've, you know, the unfortunate thing for them or the thing that doesn't bode well for them is they they've blown uh several double digit leads um this year. Um and they even let Georgia get out by twenty one on them before coming back. So uh you know, for Tennis for Kentucky they're just gonna have to get it going. Um they're gonna have to get it going early and they're gonna get some some uh they're gonna have to get some confidence going. Um I don't think they're going to beat Tennessee. It uh, doesn't seem like they ever do, even when Kentucky has their best teams. So, um, I like the Volunteers until Kentucky proves me otherwise.
1: Uh, well, Coach, I was actually going to take Kentucky until you told me that twenty ninth straight year stat of them beat, of Tennessee winning. So, uh, let's make it let's let's make it a nice round thirty because I'm turning thirty in two weeks. So, oh, yeah. um, uh, I think we're gonna have to we're gonna have to go with the Vols, um, even though it's not in Rocky Top. I will we can still be singing Rocky Top. So, um, finally, uh, as it is tradition here on the Big t- on the Illegal Motion Podcast, uh, we have to end with our favorite Big Twelve team, uh, the Kansas Jayhawks, who are giving forty at home. I'm oh, sorry, who are getting forty at home against uh, the Sooners of Oklahoma? Uh, Josh, uh, I think are we? In, I think we're in for another laugher.
2: Well, uh, Mr. Samaj P. Ryan kind of reintroduced himself to the Oklahoma staff, I think, last week going 23 attempts, 201 yards, 8.7 average, four touchdowns. So I thought it would be smart to look at uh, the Kansas Jayhawk rush defense. And as you'd expect, it's pretty bad, 118th in the country
1: uh aggressively bad let's that's like that like, that's i don't even know
2: um 1711 yards give it up 5.3 a carry 20 touchdowns and 244 yards per game so um yeah give me Oklahoma and i don't care what the spread is
0: yeah Oklahoma's going to score 60 plus points i think Uh, Kansas might uh get the record for fewest points scored at negative eight um you know the Sooners they're on they're hot right now they're on they're on a hot streak they are absolutely demolishing people um since losing to Texas I think they took it kind of personally um to go back to our previous matchup uh I actually went online and looked up a few more stats on it um uh, a, a stat boy correction for me, uh, Tennessee in the last 29 years is 28 and one. They lost in 2011. Oh, to the Wildcats, but they had, they're, they're carrying a three game winning streak, um, prior to. Derek yes. Prior to snapping a 26 game win streak, um, from 85 to 2010, uh, they've now won since 2012 till now. So, um, I like Tennessee in the battle for the beer barrel uh once again. I just wanted to correct that stat for you. Doesn't really change anything, but I uh, just wanted to uh just wanted to clarify that for you in the battle for the beer barrel. All
1: right, but I, I <laughs> you didn't cancel or Oklahoma, Coach.
0: Uh I said Oklahoma. They're gonna roll. Okay. They're gonna <laughs> score they might score seventy. They might – they very well might. Um, I
2: want to I see triple digits at some point in my life, and this Kansas team might be a good one to have that happen to.
1: I know. I, I, unfortunately, like, I don't know. I mean, I, I, Baylor could have done it before Seth Russell went out. Uh, you know, TCU's already – you know, they've already played TCU, so. But I'll yeah. tell you what. I'll tell you what. If the polls still had margin of victory in oh, it – Oh, my God. I I, I, I kind of yeah. wish
0: they still did. Like I, 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 I. just to see just to see what some of these schools would try to do. I mean, that was, you know, watching some of, watching some of the score lines with uh, some of the Spurrier teams in the '90s was kind of was kind of funny or kind of fun because you would see like sixty six to three over Furman. <laughs> yeah, You're like, geez, man, take it easy, man. But Will? he had well, I called a few good ball plays. I mean, if they don't like it, stop me. Yep. You know, not well, well, all the colors books were colored in.
1: Well, with, with, with that, uh, we're going to have to wrap it up for the week here. So, um, on behalf of Josh Cook and on behalf of the Coach Corey Burton, I am the professor, Matt Perkins, saying see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. We'll be breaking down North of
2: Texas, getting their first win of the year against one and six, Texas-San Antonio.